Hello and welcome to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, have you received one of those annoying scam texts in recent days? Well, you're not alone. Kira O'Brien of the Irish Times will join me to explain how and why they're sent and what you should do if you receive one. I'll chat to the team behind Nickelodeon's smartwatch for kids and I'll give you my full rundown on the Google Pixel 7a. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. Uh, as I mentioned there, the scam texts are doing the rounds and it seems like they are going through the roof. Uh, pretty much everybody I know has received one at this stage. And aside from letting me know that they've received them, everyone I know is eager to find out what they should do about it. Uh, Kira O'Brien of the Irish Times is with me now. Uh, Kira, before we talk through the different kinds of scams that are doing the round and what people should do, how do these things work from an operational point of view? Because back in the day, a scam used to be an email that would come in from someone a million miles away saying that they're going to give you a thousand euro if you just send over your uh, bank details. Now they're coming in from Irish numbers using Irish companies and uh, they're being successful on a pretty frequent basis from the anecdotal evidence that I'm hearing. So how exactly does it work from the scammer's point of view? Well, they're just spoofing the the numbers and the names because, you know, we've all got those phone calls where it looks like it's an Irish number. And if you go to ring it back, it turns out it's from overseas somewhere or, you know, it's done through like a virtual number provider. So it looks like an Irish number. It's, you know, it, it kind of passes the, the, the smell test when, you, when you're looking at the, the number itself. But the problem is, is it's not. It's all fake. And the idea is, is it's not even about the number anymore. All they're trying to do is to get you to trust a message enough that they will that you will click on a link. And the link is where the problem is. So obviously that link then goes to a fake website. That fake website grabs your details, whether it's your car or your bank account information or even just your personal information because we make it we, we obviously talk an awful lot about the financial impact of of crimes like this but arguably that's probably the easiest thing to sort out because you can change your bank you can change your bank account if you want you know or you can put a block on your bank account you can change your credit card by canceling it you, know, you can cancel the credit card number and the number will no longer work but if somebody has your date of birth you know your place of birth your mother's maiden name all the stuff that we use for verification for all these accounts they can basically steal your entire identity and this is the more concerning thing but an awful lot of people have been caught out by these text message scams because we're more inclined to trust text messages that come into us now. And, you know, people have been burnt by this in the past couple of years since Brexit. Obviously, there's been so many scams doing the rounds. People are a bit more clued into it. But when something comes into your phone and it says it's from on post and it looks like it comes from a number that's Irish and or it comes in, in in a message thread, if you have a bank account and it comes in, say, come from Bank of Ireland, as they, they can and do sometimes or AIB or permanent TSB and it looks like it's coming from there because it has that code across the top you know it has on post or it has BOI and it falls into an existing legitimate thread of text messages well then you know you're more likely to trust it you're more likely to click on it and you're more likely to get scammed. Yeah and what's really interesting is I, I've received a number of those ones that come into my thread and it's only because I talk about it all day, every day that I know that they're scam texts. And when people get caught out, they feel embarrassed or they say, look, I'm an Egypt, but I got stung. 
Kira Kelly last week on News Talk Breakfast, I was talking to Kira because she got one of the eFlow scam texts. She had passed the toll bridge and her little tag thing was out of date um, or wasn't working. So she was like, oh, sugar, I have to pay that. And so she did. And they clean out her bank account. Uh, like they're sophisticated. So people shouldn't feel embarrassed or like, obviously you can be annoyed at yourself, but you know, they're sophisticated. And the reason they're still rife is because they work. Yes. I mean, you think about it, you can send out very, very cheaply um, through an internet service. You could send out thousands of messages. And if only a couple of them actually bite, Mm. it's worth it for the scammer. So yeah, you're right. No, people shouldn't feel embarrassed by being caught by it because we are more inclined to trust text messages. I mean, look, I've had friends who got caught by WhatsApp messages, you know, where somebody has sent them a message to say, oh, I sent this security code by accident to your number. Now, you know, if you're thinking properly, you know, most of the time I go, well, why would you send it to my number? And you might question it a little bit, but if you're distracted or you're busy, you know, you might not look at, you might not look at the message too closely and you might just send it on only to find that you're now locked out of your own WhatsApp account because the security code is actually your security code to set up WhatsApp on another phone. So there are very clever ways of getting around. And it's like, there's a lot of this, the social engineering in this as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we are more likely to trust a message that claims to be from a friend or from a trusted entity. So getting those messages into that thread that you already have with your existing bank, you know, that's the kind of the, the, the golden spot for, for scammers because, okay, yeah, I get a message from Bank of Ireland to say that I need to re-enter, my, a payment has failed, I need to re-enter my account information. I don't have a Bank of Ireland account. I know immediately that's a scam. Yeah. But as you said, you know, with the light, with what happened with Kira Kelly, she had gone through the toll bridge. Most people have gone through the toll bridge when they get one of these messages at some point, or they think that maybe, you know, my payment information isn't up to date, or, you know, maybe something's gone wrong, the card's gone out of date, and I have to fix it. So it, it's it's plausible. And, and that's the kind of thing that these scams trade on likewise what happened with in the wake of brexit when all of a sudden people started getting messages supposedly from a delivery company you know particularly around christmas when you are buying things and when all this around brexit you know was very very up in the air and it was very new people didn't really know what was going on they were getting messages left right and center from delivery companies to say they needed to pay extra money because there was customs duty or there was vat due on deliveries there was genuine messages but also there were scam ones and you have to be kind of on the ball to spot the scam messages. Some of them are easy. You know, some of them, you, you look at the URL and you'll know this is not real. But the problem is, is that, you know, obviously the scammers are twigging this and they're making the URLs look a bit more realistic. Now, the, the, the there was a some research out from, from Bank of Ireland basically saying that there's 10 of these fake eFlow websites being set up every day. So as soon as it's, it's whack-a-mole, it's as soon as one goes down, another one, it pops up. And that is, you know, it's very hard to police. It's very hard to keep control of. And for consumers, it's very hard to keep on top of this kind of thing. But the one thing that people should remember is that eFlow and and companies like eFlow will never send out a link for payment. Mm -hmm. If you get a link for payment that, you know, you're not 100% expecting, you can always go to the website independently of that text message. Don't click the link. Go Mm -hmm. to the website independently and check it out there. Because... The key thing is they're trying to get you to follow that link. That link is the important thing. That link is where they're going to capture all your information, capture your financial information, you know, possibly clear out your bank account, as has happened to people in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, it's happened to, I think we carried a story earlier this year about a young student who found her account got cleared out because she got caught by the on post scam where 
messages claiming to be from on post that you had to pay extra money to have your your post delivered landed at the right time she had sent some cards back home the card hadn't arrived she assumed that this was the problem so she filled in her payment information only to find her savings in that account had, were then cleared out and there was very little that could be done to actually get them back mm-hmm. so there's there was some some research done earlier in the year by the banking and um, payments federation ireland this fraud smart initiative and this last year and this uh, sorry in 2021 sorry not last year this is where I'm, I'm my 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 years are getting confused here it it found in 2021 there was nearly 45 million stolen by fraudsters and scams in the second half of 2021 and that was more than a third up on the same period a year earlier mm-hmm. so in 2022 Debit and credit card fraud hit 14.5 million. That was 18.5% up on, on the same period for, for 12 months earlier. So a lot of this is driven by the, the kind of the online card fraud, card not present, and that's where compromised card information is used to make an online purchase. Now, an awful lot of that can be cut out now because we have this, you know, the secured card authentication where you it's very annoying where you have to approve payments. Mm-hmm. And if you're using Revolut or you know, you've been using, let's say, AIB or any of those, you know, you'll get a notification in the app to say you have to approve this payment before it can go ahead. And that cuts out an awful lot of it. But, you know, people are still being scammed out of millions. So the same report found that there was an over seven and a half million euro scammed out of consumers through these authorized push payments. So that's where, you know, you're you're duped into it. So um, it can be like an investment scam or somebody, you know, kind of cons you out of money by saying that they're, they're, they're striking up a relationship and then saying that, you know, you need they need money. Uh, and I got a, a message the other day from supposedly from from one of my two children um, to say that, you know, they had broken their phone and this was their new number. And could they could I send them a message on WhatsApp, which was remarkable because not only are my children um, six and eight and have no mobile phones or a phone number that they could do this from, they were both standing in front of me at the time. So obviously that one's a scam. But if it happens, like say if I if, if I had a child who was off traveling, you know, mm-hmm. and that would be conceivably something that could happen. So people do depend on or that they, they kind of prey on our kind of our, our basic instincts to help friends and family um and i know that there was quite there was i think i was on news talk itself you know, there, there was a woman on talking about how she got scammed out of quite a significant sum of money through mm-hmm. one of these scams so the advice would be if you do get a message looking for payment or claiming to be from somebody when you don't the number doesn't match um investigate it further don't just take it at face value go to the web if it's, if it's a claim and, and a, a a request for payment, go to the website and go in that way. If you have an account with the company, go and check out your account, ring the company, you know, not through the number that they've provided, but through the number that you know is genuine. If it's a, a message that comes from somebody claiming to be a friend or family who's lost their phone and could they could you WhatsApp them on this particular number, ring their original number to find out first if that is actually them. Mm-hmm. You know, if the number obviously is is out of service, well, then you'll know that it's a genuine message. But, you know, don't just communicate through text messages with your your family members, you you know, ring them, make sure it is them, because this is how people are losing money. And again, this is nothing to be embarrassed about or ashamed of. There are plenty of smart people getting caught by very smart fraudsters. And, you know, as I said, they are tapping into our basic instincts that we want to help. Or, you know, there's usually like a, an urgency to a request. You know, you have to pay this now or else your account's going to be closed down. You have to pay this now or the fine's going to increase. There's always a, a, a push to try and get you to do it as quickly as possible without questioning it too much. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, you've summed up the, the advice so well there of, you know, just do a bit of digging. When you get one of, one of these messages lands in, take a minute. Don't react straight away because that's where things go wrong. Um, the high mom scam we talked about the Pat Kenny show a few weeks ago, that is doing the rounds as well. And as you say, it's playing on people's emotional responses. But in terms of tackling this, Kira, I spoke to Minister Oshin Smith a few months ago and he told me that they're looking to work with the operators to try and tackle this because that seems to be where we can kind of choke it out or smoke it out a little bit of, you know, if they notice this massive traffic on the network from one particular number, likelihood is it's a scam. Mm -hmm. Like, is that the best way to do it? Or is there anything more that different bodies can do? It's going to be a concerted effort because the problem with this is it's like whack-a-mole. And as soon as, you know, we say one number will be used for a few thousand messages, then it's shut down and then another number is set up. So you are kind of playing catch up an awful lot of the time. Now, there are ways around this, you know, that there are different ways of verifying text messages, but it will take a concerted effort from the operators. Uh, and I think, look, you know, the only thing that we can do in the meantime, while they they figure all this out, is just to be aware, to educate ourselves. And don't assume that just because you're a certain age and you're tech savvy that you're not going to be, you know, not going to fall prey to this this scam. Because actually, the, uh, a permanent TSB research piece um, from, from I think, from last year that basically said that under 45s are more likely to fall victim to financial fraud than older people. Maybe older people are a bit more, you know, they're a bit more uh, wary. I mean, I had a, a, an incident not so long ago with my parents where I think it was MasterCard was down and I rang my dad to tell him because I said, look, you know, if you're going shopping, take another card with you because it might not be back up and running before you are you're doing your shopping and you don't want to be left with no way to pay. And he said to me, he was talking on the phone. He said, no, he said, sure, I use Visa anyway. At which point I could hear my mother in the background saying to him, who's that on the phone? Hang up, hang up. Don't tell them anything because I have them so well drilled at this point, you know, not to trust anything. And if anybody asks for any financial information, you know, just to, to cut off the, conf- the conversation, she heard Visa and thought that it was somebody asking him, you know, for his financial information. So, you know, as I said, well trained, also deeply suspicious. And that's not a bad way to be these days. No, but it does place a huge onus on the consumer to be savvy and to be sceptical and all that kind of jazz, which is not ideal, obviously. Um, And, you know, and I'm not talking about older demographics specifically here, but for people who aren't tech savvy or a bit naturally sceptical of technology, this is only going to put them off and they're never going to embrace different innovations that we're always banging on about, about how great they are and so on. So do we still need to do further education on this bit? Do we just need to wait for the bad guys to disappear before we encourage everyone to embrace tech? Like, what's the solution on that front? You know, I find actually the newer tech is actually more up to date uh, or better on some of the security things. So for a long time, like I was using Revolut, I would get a notification anytime my card was used. I didn't get that on other banking, like more traditional banking. So it's not just a a case of embracing new technology. And I think we're we're being pushed into it anyway, whether we want to or not. Um, And I don't think it's a case that we can wait until the scammers go away because they're never going away. That's it. As long as there's money, there's there's a scammer to trying to take advantage of people. So I think, yes, in one case, you know, the, 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 the banks have to do a big education piece on it. Uh, And they've put in, I suppose they put in some, some, um, barriers to these fraudulent transactions you know and that now you have to approve everything people will there will always be people trying to get around that there's always as soon as you build a better system you know that they're trying to take it down already 
Um, I think, yes, the, the mobile phone companies certainly have a role to play here and they can't just kind of stick their hands up and say, well, look, this is too difficult. Something has to be done. There is a way that, you know, we have an awful lot of smart people with an awful lot of very good technology. There is a way to, to, to solve this problem or at least to make it more difficult. Um, mm. And, you know, I think like, for example, when my phone rings, when I, when I have a, if I have a, a phone, an Android phone, the phone rings, it will tell me where that call is coming from. It will look like it's coming from, you know, from an Irish number, but, you know, maybe there's an extra number in it and, it's, and it will tell me the location of that call or it will mark it as a suspected spam call. I'm not picking that call up, you know. So if this technology exists on my Android phone, well, then, you know, obviously it is there and there are ways to kind of alert people. Uh, for example, I am one of the people who's, you know, I, I was a KBC customer on my um my bank accounts are now being moved over to a new provider. And when I was trying to transfer some money through Revolut, uh, it basically kept saying to me, do you really want to transfer this money? Are you sure? And have has anybody uh, basically pushed you to transfer? It, it made me, you know, kind of stop and think about this several times, even though I was transferring it to myself. But because there were all these steps involved, you know, there was there was barriers to it. And yes, it's very annoying when you're it's a legitimate transaction. All you want to do is get your money transferred and be done with it. But, you know, if it makes people stop and think for a second, you know, that that this it could be something that's not genuine. Maybe I'll leave it a minute and I'll, I'll, I'll investigate it further. You know, that's a good thing. But yeah, everybody has to work together on this one. It can't just be up to you, me, um, you know, my parents, your parents to know that this could possibly be a scam. Mm -hmm. You know, we do need a bit of protection as well. And we need protection from ourselves. You know, I mean, like, I'm not blind when it comes to technology, but, you know, I've nearly, I'm supposed to be, you know, very good at this kind of thing. And there's been a couple of times where I've had to take a second look at something because it looks so realistic. It also makes me incredibly suspicious of even the genuine messages, which is, you know, it's it's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Something has to be done, but unfortunately waiting for the scammers to toddle off into the sunset with their next target is probably not realistic because they're obviously making money through these scams. So they need to be kind of, you need to kind of chop it off at the head rather than, you know, kind of waiting for them to just to die out. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Unfortunately, I think we, if we held our breath, we would die in the meantime. <laughs> what a cheery note to leave things on. Uh, Kira Bryan of the Irish Times, as always, thanks so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thank you very much. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, before the break, I was talking to Kira O'Brien about the scam text messages that are doing the rounds. Uh, and I mentioned a conversation that I had with Minister Ushin Smith about this not that long ago. I want to bring you just a snippet of what the minister said. Yeah, this, this really began to, the problem really began to explode, I think, during the pandemic. And, you know, these ton of scam texts that say you have a parcel waiting for you. And they were, they were, um, targeting organisations like Unpost, banks. There was that type of scam where they put a text into the conversation you're having with the bank. So at the start of the pandemic, I convened a meeting of all the uh, chief executives of the communications companies and said, we really need to need to stop this from happening. Uh, Millions of messages were being delivered through the mobile networks to customers and you were just getting scam texts every single day. Now it has reduced uh, in volume since then and I I formed a committee with the communications regulator with Comreg and with the mobile operators and we, we they they came up with uh, a number of solutions to the, a number of a number of different 
different, um, I suppose, uh, measures that they're going to take to reduce this. Uh, and uh, clearly they're, they're already working, they're already reducing. We'll never get it to zero because you can always send a scam text. You can always tr- do, send a text to somebody else that has, a, has some kind of um, confidence trick in it. Mm-hmm. But what we need to get away from is the idea that you can put one million messages through the network and nobody notices, which is what was happening. Basically, everybody was in the country was getting the same message, and that's not, that, that's not acceptable at all. So there's a, it, 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 there isn't one silver bullet to deal with this. There's about five or six different measures that we're implementing to filter the, the content. At the same time, we have a challenge from data protection. We can't read people's text messages. You know, it's very. That's, we, we need a legal basis before we could do that. Mm-hmm. But there's a number of things we can do to spot the patterns that show that this is somebody who is faking the headers, for example, making a a, a text message appear that it came from somebody else, or or making an email uh, appear like it came from somebody else, or making a phone call appear that it, it came locally when in fact it's it's uh, internationally originated. Mm-hmm. I needed to work as well with the um, the wholesale communication companies that bring. At voice traffic into Ireland and bring SMS traffic in to to, to figure out how we were going to how we were going to filter those and it, it is a it is it is all about reducing the measure redu- sorry reducing the volume of of these scam texts and calls but we'll we'll never get to absolute zero but we we I think we are making great progress we're also co- cooperating with the um, the British police because the same international gangs that were originating their, these um, scam texts and calls were also uh, attacking the UK because they speak English. So uh, tended to be from, from countries that, that were English-speaking, perhaps former colonies of the UK and so on. So uh, there was cooperation at that level. I think, we're, I think we're making real progress. I think people are seeing a reduction in the volume, uh, but we've got a number, of, a number of big changes that are coming in soon that I'm looking forward to seeing. So that is Minister Oshin Smith speaking to me earlier this year about tackling some of the misuses and abuses of technology. But sticking with that theme, obviously there's been a hell of a lot of talk in recent days, weeks and months about artificial intelligence. Uh, The Irish Times, of course, had an incident earlier this week where they put their hands up and said, look, we did get duped, we'll strive to do better. And I I, I firstly appreciated the Irish Times doing that because I think it's a hard thing to do to put your hands up when you're wrong, but they did it. But it also shows how professional organisations can be duped by this technology. And it, it's a stark reminder for everybody to just question what they see online and I guess pretty much everywhere. Uh, but earlier in the week on Wednesday, the CEO of OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, appeared before Congress in the US. His name is Sam Altman and he was invited along to give his insights and advice, I suppose, on what should be done when it comes to regulation. Uh, Before I bring you what Sam had to say, take a listen to how Senator Robert Blumenthal kicked things off. Too often we have seen what happens when technology outpaces regulation the unbridled exploitation of personal data, the proliferation of disinformation, and the deepening of societal inequalities. We have seen how algorithmic biases can perpetuate discrimination and prejudice, and how the lack of transparency can undermine public trust. This is not the future we want. If you were listening from home, you might have thought that voice was mine and the words from me. But in fact, that voice was not mine. The words were not mine. 
and the audio was an AI voice cloning software trained on my floor speeches. The remarks were written by chat GPT when it was asked how I would open this hearing. And you heard just now the result. The audio and my playing it may strike you as curious or humorous, but what reverberated in my mind was what if I had asked it and what if it had provided an endorsement of Ukraine surrendering or Vladimir Putin's leadership. That would have been really frightening. And the prospect is more than a little scary. Yeah, and that's a pretty strong start and a pretty stark message. Uh, And what I found really interesting and refreshing was what the CEO of OpenAI had to say about the need for regulation, the threat to jobs, and what he would like to see happen. My worst fears are that we cause significant, we, the field, the technology, the industry, cause significant harm to the world. Uh, I think that could happen in a lot of different ways. It's why we started the company. Um, It's a big part of why I'm here today. Uh, and why we've been here in the past and we've been able to spend some time with you. I think if this technology goes wrong, it can go quite wrong. Uh, and we want to be vocal about that. We want to work with the government to prevent that from happening. But we, we try to be very clear-eyed about what the downside case is and the work that we have to do to mitigate that. Given that we're going to face an election next year and these models are getting better, uh, I think this is a significant area of concern. I think there's a lot... Of, There's a lot of policies that companies can voluntarily adopt, and I'm happy to talk about what we do there. Um, I do think some regulation would be quite wise on this topic. Form a new agency that licenses any effort above a certain scale of capabilities and can take that license away and ensure compliance with safety standards. Uh, You may have had in mind the effect on, on jobs, which is really my biggest nightmare in the long term. Uh, Let me ask you, uh, what your biggest nightmare is and whether you share that concern. Like with all technological revolutions, I expect there to be significant impact on jobs, but exactly what that impact looks like is very difficult to predict. If we went back to the the other side of a previous technological revolution, talking about the jobs that exist on the other side, um, you know, you can go back and read books of this. It's uh, what people said at the time. It's difficult. I believe that there will be far greater jobs on the other side of this and that the jobs of today will get better. I I think it's important, first of all, I think it's important to understand and think about GPT-4 as a tool, not a creature, which is easy to get confused and it's a tool that people have a great deal of control over and how they use it. Uh, And second, GPT-4 and things, other systems like it, uh, are good at doing tasks, not jobs. And so you see already people that are using GPT-4 to do their job much more efficiently um, by helping them with tasks. That was Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI. I'd love to know what you think. Uh, You can email me techtalk at newstalk.com. Now, when we come back here on News Talk, we're going to chat to the team behind NickWatch, which is Nickelodeon's smartwatch for kids. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Story of me. Take two. Three, two. Here we go. Ready and action. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? What did it mean to be still 
I wouldn't know I was ever still. That's him. That's our star. I want this job. I can do it. Whatever the exception is, I can fix it. I can be older. I can be taller. I can be anything. The popularity of Michael J. Fox is a phenomenon. Here is Michael J. Fox. What is the secret of your success? And the winner is Michael J. Fox. I don't believe this. This is great. I feel four feet tall. I get it. I was big. I was bigger than bubblegum. I woke up and I noticed my pinky. Auto-animated. Parkinson's disease. I told Tracy the news. In sickness and in health, I remember her whispering. No one outside of my family knew. There was only one reason I took these pills, to hide. But all those years of hiding was shaking me away. Denying that part of me that wants to continue to go on and do things is, is to quit. I won't accept that. So this is what I am. I'm a tough uh, son of a bitch. Yeah, that is a snippet of still a Michael J. Fox movie that is now streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. I haven't seen this yet, but I am planning to watch it this evening. So many people have recommended it to me this week. They've said that it is inspiring and motivational and uplifting. Uh, and I just adore Michael J. Fox. Back to the Future remains one of my all-time greatest movies. Uh, so I am going to watch that this weekend. If you have any streaming recommendations for me, please do email techtalk at newstalk.com. Uh, another thing I watched this week, actually, was it on Paramount or was it on Amazon? I think it was on Amazon. Uh, on Prime uh, was Air, that Ben Affleck movie that tells the story of the team who managed to sign Michael Jordan to Nike back in the day. And I, the soundtrack, firstly, is class. The story, I didn't know anything much about the story, to be completely honest with you. Um, and there's definitely a good narrative there, but a few things about it. Number one, it's weird that you don't see Michael Jordan himself at all, or an actor playing Michael Jordan in this. You see the back of the head of an actor playing Michael Jordan, but he doesn't really feature in it, which is a bit strange. And then after the movie, I said, oh, that was good. And the person I was watching it with went, was it? And I'm, I'm kind of still torn. Uh, if you've seen it, let me know what you made of it. I suppose it's a celebration of a corporation doing a big deal that's gone on to make them a hell of a lot of money. So, you know, how epic can it be and how good can you feel for them uh, when you're watching it uh, but I'd love to know what you think and indeed any of the recommendations uh, to save me going back for my annual Sopranos rewatch. Uh, the email address again is techtalk at newstalk.com Now last week I went along to Spongebob the musical in the Borgosh Energy Theatre with my niece and nephew and it's great fun but before the show started a pirate came out on stage naturally enough and he told the kids that there was a chance of winning treasure and that treasure was a Nick watch. Now, I'd never heard of the Nick watch before, but 
Thankfully, I managed to track down the team behind it. Uh, James Holmes is the CMO at Nickwatch and he joins me now. Uh, James, introduce us to the Nickwatch. What is it? What's the concept behind it? Yeah, sure, Jess. And thanks for thanks for inviting me on board. I'm, I'm really pleased that you went to the SpongeBob musical because we have struck up a partnership with SpongeBob musical because it felt like this product and the musical were ideal bedfellows. So um, why Nickwatch? How did it come about? Well, Paramount were very, very keen to understand how they could engage with their audiences, particularly a young audience, um, without just relying on linear television. I think, you know, you'll all be aware that we live in a multi-screen world, and that's exactly the case for kids as well as adults. And a lot of research was undertaken a couple of years ago um, with consumers across the globe to understand what would be the best area for Nickelodeon to venture into, and a smartwatch for kids was deemed to be the ideal area for them to investigate. And lots of product design, lots of research culminated in the launch of Nickwatch just a few weeks ago um, in the UK. And Nickwatch is designed to appeal for kids aged between the ages of five to 10. And it's about stimulating imaginative play. So it's not about sitting there having a screen on your wrist and playing Minecraft and having access to the World Wide Web. That is not what this is about. It's about stimulating imaginative play and at the same time giving reassurance and peace of mind to carers and parents because you can track the whereabouts of your kid and you can also have two-way communication with them as well. So on one hand, it's super fun. On the other hand, it gives you that peace of mind and safety from a parental perspective. Yeah, and I imagine a fair few parents will be nodding along now thinking that is something that I could use or would benefit because I know that every week here on the Pat Kenny Show we get texts in from people looking for a smartwatch or a tracker for their children and I'm always a little bit reluctant to recommend one because I guess we don't want to place too much emphasis on movement and we don't want kids to becoming to become obsessed with you know uh, counting their steps or anything like that so so how do you strike that balance uh, absolutely and you know that was something that was really considered at length by the uh, paramount team um because you know this isn't a fitness tracker this isn't about saying you as a child have to achieve these thresholds in any given day Um, But what it does do is it is a pedometer and it gives you the opportunity to unlock things as well. So um, it's very important to give that balance between, um, you know, gamifying life and activity and movement and um, and rewarding the kids simply. Um, And, you know, the, the way that the watch works is all of the characters are kind of baked in, um, you know, all the way through. So, for example, there's a game called Patrick Says, which is a little bit like Simon Says. And Patrick will give a child instructions, three little tasks. Could be anything from clean your room or flap like a chicken or roll on the floor. Um, You know, really fun stuff that's designed to get them on their feet and moving around. Um, Other things you can... um, you can have a backing track where when you uh, when you kind of gyrate your arm as if you're playing guitar, it, 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 you can hear the guitar playing over the uh, over the backing track and a similar kind of approach for piano as well. When you when you move your hands like a pianist, the piano notes sound. So it's, it's very different in the way that, um, you know, we've applied the thinking to this tech. 
Yeah, and I guess that partnership with Paramount that you mentioned is good because it gives you guys, from a design point of view, access to a lot of their characters that makes the appeal, I suppose, a bit more enticing for that younger demographic. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, the the characters that are baked in, whether it's um, you know, the Loud House or Teenage Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or SpongeBob. I mean, they're some of the most beloved and iconic uh, animated characters around. So, yeah, there's a lot of love for it, and there's a lot of trust in the Nickelodeon brand as well, uh, mm. from a parental perspective. And um, I think if you if you look at this product alongside some of the other let's call it kids devices out there. This stands apart because it, 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 hasn't, it hasn't got the same kind of industrial design as some mm-hmm. of our competition. It's, it's been designed from the ground up to appeal for kids. Um, so, uh, and that's everything from you know, dust and water resistance all the way through to, uh, to the screen technology. You mentioned the word trust there. Uh, Nickelodeon is obviously a well-known brand. In terms of the tech infrastructure and the parent interaction with the technology, just talk me through a little bit about how they interact with this and the levels of security and protection that are in place from a privacy point of view. Sure. Well, so at its core, this device is, is, it operates in kind of what's called a walled garden. So you haven't got open access to the internet and you also haven't got open access into the back end of it. So uh, everything from the way that the charges are being developed, et cetera, it means that you can't, it can't be hacked. Um, it also in, inside has something called an IoT SIM. So it doesn't have a phone number, so to speak, but it is connected uh, globally um, so that you can make calls and you can, uh, you can send messages. But, and I think this is key, the parent or the carer has absolute control as to whom that child can interact with. Um, so if, for example, someone else in the same class has got a Nick watch, um, the, the two kids can kind of bump their watches together and they could um, have a request to connect, but the parent would decide whether they actually can connect with each other. The other thing to note is that any photos that are taken on the device, because it has a front-facing camera, they can't be shared on the internet. They can only be shared within uh, the confines of the of the parent app. Um, the parent also has absolute control o- over how much time the child spends with the watch. So you can set quiet time, wind down routines, or indeed bedtime, and you can restrict access to uh, the watch's functionality. Because uh, I don't know about you, but um, having had... Uh, small kids, you want to restrict the amount of screen time that they have. Uh, so you can set that using the companion app. So the parent has absolute control as to what the child can or cannot do on the watch and when they do it as well and whom they interact with. Um, the, uh, the tracking capability is mm. only visible by appointed carers. So no one else can hack into that because it's obviously a concern that uh, I'm sure any parent would share. Yeah, and how does that work from a practical point of view? So in the case of my niece and my nephew, for example, if their mum and dad have it on their phones, can they allocate me a trusted contact to have the app on my phone and then see the data? It can be. So the idea is you, you create what's called like a family ring um, and you can invite, whether it's brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, but it, but it's you, the parent, the primary carer who would decide. Um, so what you wouldn't want is uh, someone going rogue and starting to invite the whole class or something like that. So there's no restriction on the number of people you can include in your, uh, you know, your kind of circle of trust. Um, but the idea is the parent will, will have the ultimate say as to who or can or cannot have access. And in terms of pricing, I know the watch itself is uh, very affordable in the UK. Is there an ongoing subscription needed or anything like that? 
So we are, we're working with a bunch of um, distributors and I've just come back from uh, Fair City of Dublin and uh, my goodness, the reaction that we've had has been out of this world, really, really great. Um, but we're locking down prices with our distribution partners. But what I can tell you is there will be um, an upfront price for the hardware and then a range of subscription offers, which you can use to activate the watch's functionality and connectivity. Um, and we're looking at a pay-as-you-go option. We're looking at a one-year pay up front and a two-year option as well. Um, from the experience that we've had in the last few weeks from the launch in the UK, the most popular is, um, is the one-year option. And we're looking for that bundle price to come in at around, uh, well, under 200 euros. In terms of the development of something like this for children, we touched upon it a minute ago, but just talk me through some of the other considerations that you need to put into place because we've touched upon the design element and the privacy element, but the content on the watch, uh, what goes into that to ensure it's engaging? Because what would be interesting to a six-year-old wouldn't necessarily be interesting to an 11-year-old. Uh, so have you struck the balance or how have you struck the balance to ensure that the kids will want to stick with it as they grow up? Mm-hmm. So basically we've got a uh, two things. One is um, the more steps that you do um, you will unlock new uh, design capabilities new games new functionality again it's not about mm, it's not about you know achieving fitness goals but it's just about being active Mm -hmm. so for example new watch faces that's something that would happen you know as a matter of course you might get two or three a month depending on your level of activity Um, but also the games themselves you're looking to add new games all the time we know that kids have short attention spans um, and they need to be stimulated in kind of new ways. So, for example, um, you know, we're aware that uh, there's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie happening uh, later this year. There will be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles content that would appeal to a slightly older demographic. Um, so all the time we're kind of listening to the market, listening to, the, to, to our customers and developing content. But that can just be pushed very, very easily. Uh, to the watch itself. You mentioned uh, that you launched in the UK a few weeks ago. You're obviously coming to the Irish market. Are you entering other markets with this product as well? Yes. So we're taking a kind of progressive approach. Um, One of the things we're very keen to do is to kind of get the building blocks in place ahead of, um, you know, the peak selling season. Our, Our dream is that this is going to feature at the top of those, you know, uh, Christmas Best Buy lists. When uh, kids start assembling their their wish list for Christmas, um, we want Nick Watch to be right at the top. So, um, working with our um, agency partners, etc., engaging with local media, um, influencers, and experts as well to tell our story. Um, we have done some proprietary research in the UK, um, really to kind of bring to light parents' fears um, and indeed um, concerns about technology. Um, you know, when's the right age to introduce kids to technology? Um, in, uh, what are their views on tracking, for example? Really interesting headline we have in the UK is that um, parents of kids under the age of 10, they will have lost their child about five times. Um, that's pretty alarming. And, you know, we feel that Nick Watch can be um, an antidote to that and can certainly help. So lots of stuff planned. We're turning the volume up as we go uh, through the coming weeks. We're going to get some stonking reviews. Um, we've, we've had heads up where uh, certainly some, some leading journalists have had this product in their hand and they've been super impressed with it. Um, and not just the product, but also the service back end, service and support. So um, we really do, we, we feel as though 
this product's going to kind of shift perceptions as to what a, a kid's smartwatch should be. Well, there's uh, two Nick watches sitting on my desk right now. I'm very excited to get my niece and nephew uh, to test them out as little guinea pigs. We will bring you that full review here on Newstalk in a few weeks' time. Uh, but for now, James Holmes of Nick Watch, thanks so much for joining us here on Newstalk. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Look after yourself. And that's it from me this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the Newstalk app powered by GoLoud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday's Newstalk Breakfast. But in the meantime, have a great weekend.